1: Hey everyone, welcome into Mackie and Judd, the podcast here. Thanks to everyone who has given us a five-star review slash rating on Apple or anywhere you listen to podcasts. We got over 400 ratings for the first time over the weekend. We passed the 400 mark, so thank you all. And please subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash score north for daily Vikings conversations. Before we jump in to today's episode, thanks to Luther Brookdale Toyota on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. They are open, and they have set up necessary precautions to keep you, the customer, and their team members both safe. You can shop their entire inventory from the comfort of your home, chat online with their sales team, and schedule a test drive where they will bring the vehicle to you. That's right. You can just sit at home. You can keep wearing those elastic-bottom sweatpants. Do you guys wear elastic-bottom sweatpants? Are those are those out like the ones that have the elastic at the bottom like of the of the mind leg. no they're more
2: open leg. they're more open yeah so wear your open leg basketball. sweatpants
1: yeah. and they'll bring a car to you to drive it's great uh, if you need service on your vehicle they're still open for that too they've set up a no contact system including electronic checkout 694 and brooklyn boulevard and lutherbrookdaletoyota.com. toyota.com tcl is a proud sponsor of the score north studios enjoy more of the things you love with tcl you guys of Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and ScoreNorth.com. All right, Judd, as soon as we walked in to sit down to do the show, so we're going to start with our last dance recap as we've done the last few weeks. And Judd said, I have a hot last dance take to start the show off with here. Yes, sir. And so Declan and I have our hot take police cars, and we are
2: circling the studio right now. Got our spade gun out. I right? for it. I don't think this is going to get me um, arrested. It might not even get me pulled over. It is going to be ruthless, heartless, and make me sound like a complete SOB, but I want you to think it through.
1: A lot of people think that you're that before whatever this hot take is going to be.
2: first of all, let me make it very clear. I enjoyed this documentary, Beyond Belief. Ten hours of bliss. I'm sad it's done, okay? I don't think, I, I found out a lot of stuff I didn't know, but I don't think my opinion of Jordan changed greatly. I thought he was sort of an SOB, and I think he, yeah. he proved that, but but he's a great player, okay? So again, sure. so again, my parameters for, well, he won six titles, but in retrospect, he wasn't a very nice guy. You know what? <laughs> I wish he won four yeah. titles and was a great
1: guy. Yeah. Does he, real quick, before your hot take, does he like, so he's definitely more abrasive and still the same way he was 20 years ago. Yes. More than I thought in both cases. Yep. Does he deserve, like, less credit because he did it that way and didn't, that, that like, all of his teammates, including Scottie Pippen, both look at him and they're like, I'm good not hanging out with you ever again. Right. No, he doesn't. But if He's you're a, only judged on how many championships he wins. But
2: if you're a fan, okay, let's say that we could wave a magic wand today and turn Kirk Cousins into a nasty SOB. And, like, you don't like him as a person, but he wins your championships. And I think Kirk is a nice guy, all right? I'm taking that in a second. Absolutely. Okay. Okay, so 100%. so I can't stand him. Who cares? All right, so here's the hot take. And and the conclusion I thought of the last dance for the most part was fantastic. I love the end. I actually started to well up a little bit as they showed the highlights and had the music going and, and all of that. And and you know, we left it with the ninety-eight bulls were broken up. And we left it basically saying as close as we could, and really outright saying Jerry Kraus broke this up. Jerry Krauss yeah. Jerry cross the little man, the little fat man, is a terrible guy because he broke up this. You know, could they have come back in ninety eight, ninety nine, and won a seventh title? Um, could they have, if you know, could they have stayed together with with Phil and the group for a couple more years? Jerry Reinsdorf who owns them gave the excuse of why, but I think there were a lot of people still saying, you know, that's folly. And in fact, Jordan said I could have found, you know, I would have come back on a one-year contract. Scotty would have come back. I don't think he would have. But anyway, all of that being said, are we blaming the wrong guy here for the breakup? And I don't mean the breakup after the after title number 6 in 98. I know who you're blaming. Are we blaming the wrong guy? You're going to blame we- Phil Jackson. No. Zero. I'm going to go back oh. to 1993 Thank God. and blame a 30 year old Michael Jordan for stopping the run in midstream himself in his prime. Michael Jordan ended this run himself. Now, now they came back, he came back and had another run. But are we, are we because this was largely, and I know he didn't have final say officially, but because this was a documentary that required Jordan's complete cooperation, and he clearly gave it, and that was great. We were clearly going to look at the end in 98 and say, well, that was it, and it's too bad. But are we looking in the wrong place? And I'm going to tell you why quickly. And here's here's the hot take, and here's where I'm going to go. I'm going to come off like a really bad guy, and I don't care. Michael Jordan in 93 was exhausted for sure. But as we have found out, in watching this documentary, Michael Jordan is wired in a way that most of us, I think, could safely say we have no idea how that that works. Like, God gave him a chip, and it's not—I don't know it's a gift, but God gave him a chip— God that, gave him six chips. —that most of us don't have. But there's a chip in his brain that makes him really—it's a chip that— you know the vast majority of of human beings i think including lebron don't have that chip which is to say i will run you over with my car i don't care if you're my mother if yeah. i can get that title okay so michael jordan quits in 93 because he's exhausted to go play baseball but he went to play baseball largely because his father had been killed and and i think if his dad doesn't die michael might have been tempted to walk away but one his dad might have said no and second of all, I don't know that the baseball component, he really sees it through without his dad dying. I think if his dad does not die, he thinks about it, but then he's like, but there was clearly something the day his dad died that changed. Yeah. And, and I get all that, and he is a human being. I get that. But, you know, the one thing that we learned from Jordan was I don't really care about people. Like, their feelings to me, nothing. I want to win. So did so is Michael Jordan actually in taking this action largely? I think because his dad died, being incredibly selfish, and and not adhering to what Jordan believed, w- which was emotions and human feelings be damned. This is all about championships. Is Michael Jordan the guy that broke this up? Not in 1998, but in 1993 by not right, seeing it through. Just to
1: clarify, you I am pulling you over. Just just for the record, it's an absurd take. I just want to throw that off. Michael Jordan, absolutely absurd take. Take cops is recorded on location with the men and women of sports. It's ridiculous! All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in hot take. Okay. Court. You, by the way, you don't even get a lawyer. Okay. You're just like put your hands on the back of the car and don't say a word. Me? I'm not even going to read you your hot take rights. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Whatever just happened there. I don't know. I don't know if, if Judd Zolgad has been getting into the hot take IPAs before the show here. I wish. So just to just to clarify though, just to make sure that you don't spend the rest of your life in hot take jail. Are you criticizing 1993, Jordan, for breaking up the 1998 Bulls or for breaking the string of what could have been eight straight championships? Breaking
2: the string of what could have been eight straight championships. Not, not Not five years after, but what I'm saying is he walked away at 30, in part, I think, because his dad died. And what I'm saying is the guy that I saw in that documentary, I don't know that I'm willing to give him as much leeway to have that emotion when he didn't account for anyone else's emotion, and still doesn't, I don't think, in his... In his entire life. So let's say, because all we can do is play hypotheticals here. If Scottie Pippen, after the third championship,
1: let's say Michael Jordan's dad was fine and Michael Jordan was still ready to rock and roll and wanting to play. Hey, let's do this, baby. I'm in my prime. It's 1993. We're gonna win every championship this decade. My dad's healthy. He's great. And like he and he just and he was a little bit burned out, but whatever. Like I'll deal with it off in the off season and figure it out. Just Kinda like relax. LeBron James, it's the same thing every year, right? And Scottie Pippen had a tragedy in his family after three years. Yep. And Pippen decided, I just can't do this anymore. I'm going to go play football or whatever. Like, I'm just going to – I'm going to go play baseball and be done with this. Do you think – and again, this is just a complete hypothetical and sort of unfair because now we're projecting feelings and thoughts that we can't. But would Michael Jordan have criticized Scottie Pippen in the Last Dance documentary if the roles were reversed? Yes. I think the answer is yes. I think he would have said, listen, I understand, but – but, but he but, would but, he but. would have
2: said he would have said when asked about the hypothetical that you just gave, and then Scotty walked away. He w- yeah, he
1: would have had some sort of condescending. Yep. I mean the the way he referred to Scotty's back injuries and like Scotty's migraine, it's sort of like yeah. I mean I understand, but like Scotty hung me out to dry. Yes, in all those instances. Yes. So I agree that there is a little bit of there's some hypocrisy and that Michael Jordan only really thinks about Michael Jordan. And even to this day, like you can just tell in all of his interactions, like he has to have the upper hand in every comment he makes. He has to have the upper hand in every version of every story that is told, right? All those things. So I agree there is some hypocrisy. But I think everything that was coming down on him in 1993, and I don't think it's just like, and his dad, I think it was everything that was coming down would have been enough to burn a guy out with a personality like that, and then his dad gets killed on top of already feeling burnout. Right. There is no way he would have made it eight straight championships. No, way. Let's say he would have pushed through it in 1993 into 94. Mm-hmm. To me, there is no chance he pushes through all of those things that are happening, a lot of them self-inflicted by just how much he's all in on, like soul-focused on winning championships. And then you remove this huge part of his life. And, like, that that happens to a lot of people. All of us in this room have lost parents. Like, we're in the lost parents club. And I think a lot of people take a moment to reflect and, like, wow, okay, I'm going to reprioritize, like, what's important to me. And, and for Michael Jordan, he's not the most self-reflective guy. Right. In fact, players were stunned in episode 9 or 10 when Phil Jackson has them go through the exercise at the end of the season. I think, I think the... Uh, the the bucket burning thing actually happened before the playoff run. I think that's. I don't. I don't think it happened after the season. I think it happened before. the No, playoff I run. think
2: it was at the very very end because he did it before that's the playoff
1: they, run too. Though they did like the same thing where they. I think they Jordan all, like, turned did the poem in.
2: after they won the sixth t- title.
1: Okay, but like that's the most open and emotional he's ever been with uh-huh. anybody. Uh-huh. He's not the type of guy that's gonna like take inventory and say, "All right, my dad just died, so I'm gonna reprioritize things in my life." And like in that in that process, however, he's going through it. He decided basketball didn't matter anymore, right. And then he realized a year and a half later, like, no, basketball does matter to me, et cetera, et cetera. But, so I just like I don't think my, there's there's no scenario where they win HJ championships but, in my mind,
2: but my none, but my point is is by stepping away, he cost them that opportunity to try to do that. and, and my takeaway after ten hours of the last dance is that Michael Jordan has no room in his being for forgiveness. And so if you walked away at 30, you you cost your team. I'm not guaranteeing titles. I'm saying that if you had any chance at 7 and 8, it probably came in the year that he was playing baseball and then tried to come back and was not in basketball shape too late. And I'm just I feel like after seeing Jordan in that show that there is real room to say to him Dude, this is how you lived your life and apply it to other people. And so, therefore, it's very fair to question you because you would do the exact same thing, Phil, to your point about Scottie Pippen, because you're right about that.
1: Did we ever, by the way, on the – because I actually thought you were going to go down the Phil Jackson road and say, listen, he was offered a chance to come back in the end. Like, he was offered a chance to come back. Yeah, no. And he said no. Yeah. But, like, did we ever get a real explanation at, at any point in these 10 episodes, which were amazing, by the way. Did we ever get a real explanation for why Phil Jackson wasn't allowed to just remain the coach? Like, what what was... The major rift between Jerry Krause and Phil Jackson. Jerry Krause was jealous of Jackson,
2: and Krause, and and
1: but that one, was only implied. Like it was, never yeah, like no, Jerry Krause one, never gave
2: his own reason. But the but the one thing they didn't explain is there were reports out of Chicago going back to way before the ninety seven ninety eight season that Jerry Krause was looking forward to Jordan retiring again so he could sort of build a champion because Jerry Krause thought I'm that good. Um, and I think Jackson, who was incre- you know incredi- incredibly cerebral, incredibly smart, basically said, if I have to work for this guy beyond the 97-98 season, it's not going to work. And so Jerry Reinsdorf, after they beat the Jazz in 98, offered him the chance to come back. But I think what it came down to, and here's the question they didn't ask Reinsdorf is, why didn't you just fire Krause? Cuz I do mm-hmm. think I do think if Reinsdorf exactly. tells Phil, Phil, I'll give you personnel control and you come back. I think Phil comes back. So so And Scotty probably figures out a way to come back too. Or maybe they trade him for a younger. Maybe they, they trade him for Brady him. or something. But the unanswered question to me was was the question that need to be posed to Reinsdorf of why didn't you just pick Phil Jackson over Jerry Krause? Cuz in essence, you pick Phil Jackson and MJ then over Jerry Krause. That doesn't seem to me to be that difficult to pick. No.
1: In fact, obviously like benefit of hindsight, but even in in the in real time, like mm. that team that Down. team was definitely on the verge of being done with their dynasty and maybe should have lost in the Eastern Conference Finals to that Pacers team that was documented in those episodes last night, but um I just like the the one thing that really stood out at the very end cuz I think we all kind of wondered was MJ burnt out again? Like, he was, he got burnt out twice, right? He got burnt out in 93, and then he got burnt out again in 98, and then he came back for a couple weird years with the Wizards, and that question was answered in in episode 10. He wanted to come back. He wanted to come back and play, but he didn't want to come back and play for the Bulls without Phil Jackson. And there's another piece to the story here that didn't get told in The Last Dance. Bill Simmons wrote about this like five or six years ago and, uh, and retold the story on one of his podcasts from last week, recapping, I think, episodes seven and eight. That based on what he had heard behind the scenes, and he's very sourced out in in NBA circles, Mm -hmm. that Michael absolutely wanted to come back in 98-99, the lockout-shortened season. But the two problems were, number one, he wasn't going to go back to the Bulls because he didn't want to play for Tim Bleepin' Floyd, which is such a weird, ridiculous hire. That guy was a
2: total train wreck. Great Jerry Cross hire.
1: Yep. And... Because of his salary, and I can't remember if his $30 million carried over, if it was like a multi-year deal and the Bulls would have had to trade him, or if he just wanted to make a lot of money still. Mm-hmm. There were only like four or five teams with enough cap space coming out of the lockout to be able to even like clear room for him. I think the Orlando Magic were one of those teams. The Magic were trying to swing a deal that involved like McGrady, Grant Hill, and Tim Duncan or something. But the New York Knicks were another one of those teams, according to Bill Simmons. That you, big city, they had cap room. They were really good in the in the late '90s, still at the end of the Patrick Ewing run. Mm-hmm. And the day after the lockout ended in January 1999, they made a trade for Latrell Sprewell, who made like ten million dollars a year, had a huge contract. Ten million dollars a year in 1999 was huge. Michael Jordan made like thirty, but Sprewell was also one of the highest paid players in the league. So the Knicks didn't even like take their time to feel it out. They just. Went out and got Latrell Sprewell, but apparently yeah. Michael Jordan was looking for a team to play for behind the scenes, and just like circumstances and think about lack that. of cap space. But, but think about that, Michael Jordan circumstances. Yeah, like
2: now and, that never happens.
1: No, I mean teams are like teams would have been thinking about this three yeah. years before the dynasty, yes. and they would have, they would have seen like the Jerry Krause, Phil Jackson, Pippen, well, and and
2: Jordan writing on the wall. And what parts? So when that Bulls team broke up. Let's say Reinsdorf fires Krauss, okay? So Phil comes back. And mm-hmm. let's say Jordan's like, okay, cool. 30 mil, one year, or pro, or actually, because it was the uh, lockout shortened season, a pro-rated amount of that for the season. What parts were really absolutely essential? You know, because Steve Kerr was 32 at the time. And Steve Kerr was a nice player. But yep. I, I'm sorry. Steve Kerr could have been replaced. Rodman was 36. He had to be done. So he was done. But I mean, so so he's just done. But but again, Kerr basically replaced what? John Paxson. And R- Rodman replaced guys like uh, Oakley and Cartwright. I mean, as goofy as Dennis was and as effective of rebounder as he was, he could be replaced. Okay. Now, Pippen's tougher if he does get traded because he's mad about his contract and won't come back. I don't know about that. But really, if you look at... At the NBA, as constructed, by the way, then, so this is not a 2020 conversation, as constructed then, you really do have to ask yourself if they could have gotten Phil Jackson to come back and then, by extension, MJ comes back. What else do you need? One more guy. If Pippen leaves, because it's not like the the documentary made it sound a little bit like, all oh, man, and and then Kerr left and Rodman. Left. Yeah, okay, you can replace those guys. Sorry, you can,
1: like Steve Kerr, go find another shooter. I think replacing Scotty, it's not only the player you're replacing, but it's also the chemistry sure. and finding personalities that can get along with Michael and sure. not be offended. Like it's it's a whole team building thing that you'd have to just on the fly replace. But I think if you could have found a way to keep Scotty. Because Scotty had like 3 or 4 good years left. He went to Houston for a year, then he went to Portland for like 3 years. He got in a fight with Barkley and got traded by right. Houston. But he was like he was still a serviceable player for like 4 or 5 more years sure. after that. I think what you would have had to do and I would have to go back and like be a capologist and look and see what the what they were even capable of doing. But you bring Phil Scotty and Michael back. You replace Dennis Rodman with a younger more reliable, guy who's not going to peace out in the middle of the NBA finals and go fight a tag team match with the NWO, which was amazing. And I was I totally say, totally don't forgot give me about me that crap. That. You were
2: thrilled oh, by that. You were absolutely thrilled part. by that. Totally forgot about that. $100,000 and a private plane. In
1: the middle of the bleeping NBA finals, and that was also peak WCW. Eric Bischoff had come in and just started signing Hulk Hogan and all these top superstars, and the NWO ran professional wrestling. It was the highest ratings just crushing WWE. Where was it, by the way? You could argue that the 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 NWO and WCW were just as big at that point, not as the Bulls, but as the NBA. Where did Pippen fly to? Rodman? Erwin, yeah,
2: Rod- I uh, in Mich- it
1: was in Michigan. Michigan. Detroit. Oh, yeah. so it's
2: not that far. Yeah, He flew to Detroit, came back the next day. He made like sixty grand because I I think the tweet I saw last night was I think he got he got fined forty grand by, by the league for missing access. Basically, after that Bulls practice, because I don't think Phil really cared about it. Jackson,
1: uh, he I think he did.
2: Well, he cared, but not a lot. And and then I, I believe the NWO people paid him one hundred thousand dollars, so he basically made something like sixty thousand dollars for skipping a NBA practice. It's hilarious. And there is at some
1: point in that story arc where he's with the NWO. They brought in Carl Malone at some point. WCW did, and there was a tag team match. And Dennis Rodman falls asleep on the ring apron at some point. Like he's standing up, like as part of a tag team, and there's mm. there's footage of him at this pay per view just like falling asleep on the top
2: row. Can we talk about something? <laughs> just very very small off last night. So the scene where after I think it was the first finals that the Bulls beat the Jazz, and Malone goes on the Bulls bus. Did anybody wear their jeans worse than Carl Malone? He's got a, he's got like a belt on and his jeans like pulled way up. He's a cowboy, man. It Carl is. Malone is but not it, only a mailman, he, he is a cowboy. He looks like a 55 year old suburban dad in those jeans.
1: Yeah. Have you ever seen like Carl Malone? Hilarious. Let me see. I'm just going to Google a uh, Carl Malone uh, home here. And he's just like, he, he's like a rancher. I'm pretty sure he like lives, like he has he like farmland. No
2: by the way, they, they tried to talk to him for uh, the last dance and he. Jason Harris said that Carl Malone and Brian Russell both said no. See, those were the two guys that said no. Brian
1: Russell, I can see Carl Malone saying yeah, no. Yeah, Brian Russell should have said yes. Brian Russell, dude, like you got in game one of the, the, the first meeting between the two in the finals, he got walked off, buzzer beater. He knew Jordan would mock him. That's why he said no. Can I also say like for the people that have obsessed, including Brian Russell, over the push off, that's it was a hardly a push off. It's not a push off. Brian Russell was but moving you,
2: one direction.
1: But Jordan you know what gave what him a little
2: taparoo. But you know what didn't play get, better defense. But bro. you know what didn't get called that, that now I think without a shadow of a doubt gets called? Reggie Miller delivering the blow to Jordan to get the his his shot off when when Reggie ran right Game four. at Jor, at MJ, yeah. That was really bad. And pushed off and then got the ball. It, it's a great play and great shot. But I think in today's game, that's called every single time it is. I it's remember
1: a blatant foul. As a as a hardcore Bulls fan, bandwagon Bulls fan in the nineties. Yeah, Head family in Chicago, but still
2: is to this day, loves the Bulls. Love the
1: Bulls so much. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't name five players. Lori Martin and he's just Phil loves him. He's got his jersey. Zach Levine, I'll give you Zach Levine. I mean. But like I remember watching that game thinking, My God, that's a terrible push off. The Bulls just got screwed. They in did. Game four. They did. All um, right. other things of note in that final episode or two last night. The food poisoning game, yes. or the flu game, as it has been it's coined. Now f- Some people have coined it the hangover game. Yeah, it's now the food poisoning game, Phil. So the story that was told is that Michael Jordan is hungry in his hotel room the night before game five, and he's hanging out with his agent and a couple of the secu- security guys, like the, like the close tight-knit group that he basically just hangs out with on the road. And uh, Jordan gets hungry at like 10.30 or 11 o'clock. There's no room service in the hotel. And there's barely any restaurants nearby. They're on the outskirts of Salt Lake City. So there's one pizza place that's still open, mm-hmm. and they order a large pizza mm-hmm. for Michael Jordan specifically. Five guys show up to deliver the pizza to the whole—there must have been word that this is the hotel room that the Bulls are staying at. and So five guys show up to deliver it, presumably to see, like, who who's in the hotel room? Is it Michael Jordan? Mm-hmm. And his agent immediately gets a bad vibe and says, don't eat that pizza. The trainer. It was his agent, or his trainer. Head his trainer, trainer the yeah. Head okay. trainer the head trainer for uh, the... So wolf. he says, don't, don't eat that pizza. This is not... I just have a bad vibe about this. Five dudes showed up to deliver the pizza. We're in the middle of the bohoonies of Salt Lake here. So Michael Jordan eats the pizza anyways. Mm-hmm. He wakes up in the middle of the night feeling like garbage. He has an IV from morning until tip-off that night. And he puts up one of his most legendary games ever. 44 minutes... Just goes ballistic in the second half, and uh, it's known as the flu game. What do you guys think about the food poisoning story, and does it stack up to squash the hangover game
2: rumor? Or do you still believe that maybe there's a missing piece to this story? I think there might be a missing piece, but I, I, I have so much trouble believing that this guy who was hardwired to win at all costs was drinking excessively the night before. It makes no sense because in his case, your season's about to be done. You can get drunk every night, basically the rest of June and July. But ordering a pizza at like 11 o'clock is a very drunk guy thing to do. Now, now, um, Jason Hare, who directed this, was on with Dan Patrick and said that they left out some of the story because of time constraints on the last dance and that the story was the security detail and Jordan's friends who were in the room when Jordan was out ordered room service earlier. Jordan came back and was pissed off because he's like, no food for me. So he's mad at... 11.30 11.30 or so, he gets hungry. They they then start to – they call downstairs and told that uh, room service is done for the night. They start to call around, and because they're on the outskirts of, of uh, Salt Lake, there's not a lot available. And according to what Jason Harris said, that Jordan told them that they didn't put in the story was that Jordan – was mad when the pizza came up. The rest of the guys had eaten, and Jordan said, this is all mine, and spit on the pizza, which, by the way, (laughs) at the start of the last dance, I would have called BS on, but after seeing Jordan so excessively during the course of this uh, documentary, I totally buy, because he's a childish competitor. Like, he gets mad about stupid things. So he spits on the pizza. They're all like, peace out, I'm done, and then Jordan eats the pizza after that. Um... Here's why I sort of buy it, though. Like, I could, I certainly think there's more to it than we're being told. But you know what? Okay, he was either sick, had been drinking excessively, or got food poisoning. Here, Here's where I think they don't tell the entire story. They insinuate it, but don't tell it. I think the insinuation from the trainer who said that five guys sh- showed up is, were they all thrilled to see Jordan, or did they put something on the pizza? I think there's an insinuation of purposeful food poisoning, absolutely, and that's what they were basically trying to say. Is that and now, now that's the exploration that I wanted more of. Like, if you guys think that, Can we track
1: down like one of the pizza delivery. Just guys? say that.
2: Just say, hey, look, we think that they put something weird on the pizza, but. I think the one thing they didn't explore and that they definitely insinuated was that they purposely poisoned Michael Jordan.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I gathered. I mean, that's like... But that's,
2: me, that's... I Give me more. The trainer, the trainer thinking, all right,
1: there's five little jackals out there right. delivering one piece of pizza. They all want to be part of a story of some kind. They're all either trying to figure out if it's Scottie Pippen or Jordan in the hotel room. But you
2: could sprinkle something on that pizza with no problem whatsoever and poison them. But that's the thing. Like, why would
1: you... If your trainer tells you don't eat that pizza... How hungry? How hungry are you in that situation? Yeah. And, don't, and don't they have like? Doesn't the trainer? Just, shouldn't the trainer just have like snacks or something? Well, like can, the team doesn't have snacks. <laughs> can in the you most, imagine? Like, now? Nine, like the, the most. Hold on. The most. Like the, the most famous NBA team of all time, the Beatles of NBA history. Yes. In the middle of the NBA finals, yes. at the peak of their popularity, have to call a fringe rural pizza place at eleven o'clock in the middle of the NBA finals. Okay. There's not like a granola bar exactly. sitting around somewhere. Well, he wants more than that. Like, what, like, he wants what a if dinner. The, the team
2: doesn't travel with food? He wants it. what is happening? In it's 2020 now, so that question now is is relevant, but in 1998 in Utah, you didn't have it was different. Like, I'm not surprised. It sounds crazy now. They don't bring some, like, just a freezer full of Hot Pockets or something? Can you imagine LeBron LeBron James? My Friday night. Sounds great. <laughs> hey, hey, LeBron, we got problems. <laughs> I did what? that
3: on Friday. I ordered pizza at midnight. It was a horrible decision the next day. But
2: you are downtown. That's the difference. Yes. This is the outskirts of Mormon <laughs> country, baby. <laughs> Seriously. In 98? But, yeah, it's crazy. But, I, but the exploration that I wanted more of and that we didn't get was, if you're going to insinuate that one of if not the greatest player in NBA history before a finals game was poisoned. Let's go down that road because that's what you're that's what they wanted to yeah, no, come out and that was,
1: say. I don't, I don't know if Jason Hare has spoken on this, but did they try to track down one of the that, that would have been he a fun thing elaborate like elaborate on that. They finally had Jordan's kids make a three second cameo at the end of Only one to of the say episodes. they hate the jazz. Right. <laughs> like his kids sit down for an interview and are basically on screen for ten seconds each to say like, Yeah, we just uh we didn't, like we, Jerry did, we didn't like the
2: jazz yeah. and the ex-wife. Good talk. the ex-wife, never heard from. Nope. Oh yeah, there was. This was really fun, but there were so many examples of, of the control that Jordan had. And, and Harris tried to to be like, well, I mean, we covered every subject, and I don't blame him. And his documentary is great. But the one thing is nobody is naive enough to say, yeah, you know what? You covered every subject thoroughly, just like Jordan, you know, and you basically went against MJ. There is no question that there were some things they were essentially told, hey, you could go talk to my kids, but talk about the jazz.
1: The other major bombshell in the last two episodes, and they just did a great job walking it up. I didn't know about Steve Kerr's father. I oh, had didn't? no idea. Me, me neither.
2: Oh, you didn't? Oh, mm. um. Google, there, there's a, fa- it. the one thing they don't touch on is, so Steve Kerr's father is killed in 84. At some point in time, and th- this was a famous and just makes you sick story. After that, he's playing for a- Arizona, college basketball game, and there was a fan base, I kid you not, Phil, that chanted PLO. Wow. They didn't get to it because I don't think it was germane to their story, but that's like one of the most disgusting fan of all the stuff that you know, I mean, I get getting on players and things, but
1: yeah, there's a part of his Wikipedia page. How, disgu- into how disgusting is that? Like some of the, your father's history was another chant or something.
2: Yeah. How about that? But I mean, seriously, that's like, a, that's just sickening.
1: So his dad gets killed, just shot in cold blood in Beirut during uh-huh. uh, a, a very tension filled time between the two countries. And so Steve Kerr has this shared connection with Michael Jordan, not in that they both lost parents and that their parents were both killed at gunpoint. Yeah. And, you know, one happened 10 years before the other, but I think it's just a really interesting glimpse into how distant Michael Jordan was from an emotional and personal standpoint from the people he was closest to on a daily basis. Not ever on the road. You're playing 82 games. He played with Michael Jordan, Steve Kerr did for three or four years and not once in, you know, some random city like Minneapolis on a road trip, you guys don't sit down at the hotel bar together and say, hey, listen, man, I don't know if you know this, but my dad was also killed 10 years ago. I mean, we don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but I just want to know right. that like, I, I definitely, you got someone to, to bond with in me and Steve Kerr said, yeah, we just it never really came up before. Like, And now that you know what Steve Kerr has become and he's just this, he's a great leader and a communicator and someone who can clearly connect with players and other human beings, I'm actually shocked that him, like him of all people, I can see other people, if it was like Horace Grant trying to have a conversation, but Steve Kerr is such a great people connector and someone who has empathy and great communication skills, like how even Steve Kerr would not feel like he's able to walk up to Michael Jordan and say, hey man, we've got this shared connection, let's talk about it. That he's basically scared to bring it up to Michael Jordan. I thought that was really compelling.
2: I think Steve Kerr, the coach now, if Jordan plays for Steve Kerr, does that for sure. But Steve Kerr is so smart and observant of people. And the one thing that Kerr did that was just genius too was he knew he knew how to stand up for himself and and not punch hard, but punch back at, at Jordan. The uh, scene after he hit the big shot in the finals at Grant Park is fantastic, where he's joking but not a- yeah. about, yeah, and Michael said he didn't w- didn't w- want to take the big shot, and so I had to bail Michael out again, which was really, really funny, but it's also a dig at Jordan, because Steve Kerr knows that stuff bugs Jordan, and yeah, that that sidebar on Steve Kerr, though, and, and talking to his uh, mom about his dad dying and all of those things, that Sidebar, to me, epitomized why this documentary was so good, because I loved, and I know there were people that didn't like this, I loved when they would veer off and just tell a story, yep. a different story. Mm-hmm. And that's what made this documentary, to me, so effective. Because if it was just basically, and and then the 98 Bulls did this, or if it was just all sidebars on Jordan, but I loved how they weaved in, you know, a lot on Rodman, for instance. A little on Kerr, but it was really valuable Early on in the documentary, the Pippen backstory is fantastic. They did just such a good job, and and I think what society doesn't like about the documentary that I actually loved was you had to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Like if you started to read your phone, it would be easy to get completely lost. Especially when look back up and be like, "What was that?"
1: Right. Especially like at the beginning of the series when you're going from '98 back to '85. Like, okay, the games just look different on TV, so you can you can kind of lose track and still figure out where you're at. By the end of the documentary, you're going from you're going from like June of 98 back to uh you know, June of 97 yeah. and it's and everything kind of looks the same on TV. Um as we put a wrap on our last dance discussion here, what are give me like real quick your lasting number one takeaway from about anything. It can be about Michael Jordan, it can be about the the series itself, like the number one thing you take away after 10 episodes of the Last Dance.
2: Jordan is was and is a ruthless competitor with very little understanding or compassion of people, and he does not care. And and as much as he led that franchise to great success and as great as he was, uh, it was pretty clear that his teammates re- respected that, but to what you said earlier in the show, Phil, um, you could tell there's a lot of guys who if they never cross paths with Jordan again— do not care. Mm-hmm. I knew he was great, and I knew to be that great, you had to be wired differently, but I thought this 10-hour documentary did a marvelous job of giving us the insight of two, of just how distant a person he could be and the fact that he cared about one thing and still does. He didn't care about uh, politics. He didn't care about supporting people. He cared about winning, and if you could help him do that, He'd sort of be your friend, but if you couldn't, he had no time for you. Mm -hmm.
3: He was a tortured soul. I think that is, and he is a tortured soul. He's not was, he didn't go over it. He still is a tortured soul. He has no idea how to flip off, for the lack of a better word, his competitive nature after basketball. He's still, the way he talks about things, the way he remembers everything, he doesn't know, I think, how to channel that off switch. Like I was telling Judd last night, I think we started even with Kobe Bryant after he retired in 2016. You slowly started to see him flip off that off switch. Mm-hmm. He became a little bit more of a human. He became a little, uh, Obviously, a, I'm sure he was always a devoted father, but a much more man, that a guy that wanted to spend time with his family, an advocate for the WNBA. You saw him transition to post-basketball life. You're starting to see that. I've never seen that with Michael Jordan after watching
1: this. People ask, like, how can he be such a great player? And he's just clearly a garbage owner. He has not been able to figure it out as the owner of the Charlotte Hornets for, it's been like 10 years, I want to say, that he's had uh, majority ownership of the Charlotte Hornets. uh, Several years anyways. And now that I watch this documentary, I have two main takeaways. Number one, I am not shocked at all that he is a bad owner of a basketball team because (laughs) the same principles that would lead you to being a ferocious competitor on a basketball court where he is just bleep you, everybody. I will win games by myself if you don't want to come along or if you're not clutch. Screw you. I don't need you. Like, that was his... He basically needed Steve Kerr to hit a game-winning shot in a huge finals game or a huge uh, conference finals game for him to even, like believe in Steve Kerr as a human like you know yeah. like for him to even like make eye contact with Steve Kerr Steve Kerr had to hit a big shot yep. at the top of the key and so he Jordan is the ultimate rower like give me the oars and I will row and I will put everyone on my back but as the owner of a basketball franchise you have to be the ultimate visionary and the ultimate <laughs> you have to have patience and you have to hire the right people and you have to know what traits to look for and it's like he's never looked that deeply into people you prove that you are a good teammate by hitting that shot in the corner when I throw it to you, if I throw it to you. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I learned was I've always always given LeBron James probably more credit in this debate that has gone on for 10 or 15 years than most people my age who grew up watching Michael Jordan. I grew up watching Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was my favorite basketball player as a kid. And even with that, the last 10 or 15 years, I have said, LeBron James is a better passer. LeBron James is a better rebounder. LeBron James is better in a lot of different ways. Better shooter. Michael Jordan probably wasn't forced to shoot threes as much as he would. Have. Like Michael Jordan would have figured it out. Don't get me wrong. But the thing that separates those two guys, and it's like the absolute reason why LeBron James has multiple finals losses, and I know he's gone up against dynasties like the Warriors, and Jordan never went up against the Warriors and the Spurs, but mm-hmm. Jordan is hollow inside He is a cyborg of a personality, and I think his demeanor and mentality are just on a different level than LeBron James'. LeBron James, you could argue, is the more physically dominant player, but he doesn't have that throw-everything-else-out mentality and just look through people. LeBron James, I think, gets hung up on the what-if-I-fail sometimes. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan never did, and that's what separates those two guys. That's my main takeaway. This is the most we've ever gotten— a glimpse inside Michael Jordan. We've never gotten this before in you know thirty-five years of of him being in the public spotlight. Yep, and it just it is it is such an aha moment of that's how and why but
2: this guy was so great. That's why that's why I come back to if you're wired like that, your dad dies, you're burned out. I get it. Take a month off and play basketball. I can't believe you're
1: criticizing play him for like basketball. making a huge life decision in the I middle am of completely the worst moment because of, of what I've
2: seen. He doesn't have the he do, if you don't have the capacity to forgive others. But those are two different things. Then I then I don't have then I'm saying that if he takes the month off and continues to play basketball, you actually broke up the title run. You did but, it in
1: ninety three yourself. Okay, but those are two different like the ability to empathize with other humans and then uh, and then how you feel when something bad happens are not like
2: mutually exclusive Right, things. but I'm saying apply Listen, to yourself. Not, they're not like, like zero-sum things. Right, but I'm saying apply that to yourself because you're right. If Pippin had done the exact same thing, if anybody had done the same thing to Jordan, he would have to this day had no time for that decision.
1: I agree that it's hypocritical. I'm not going to criticize him I'm for criticizing wanting him. That's to That's why it's a hot shout. take. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. That's
2: why. It's a hot take. <laughs> Dude, look at who you are and say to yourself, how do you feel about the fact that at the age of 30, you brought an end to what could have been seven to eight titles complete At when Jerry Krause yeah, made okay. the decision that he did?
1: Okay, I will, I will even go as far as saying, if Michael Jordan is hung up on, but we could have won seven. Yep, you could have. The seventh one could have come in 1994, but I'm not, like, I will point out that the seventh one could have happened in 1994. I will not criticize him. For wanting to do something different with his I am holding Michael life.
2: Jordan to the same standard that Michael Jordan holds other people. Oh, uh, quickly,
1: <laughs> okay, that's fair.
2: Ten part documentary, NBA things from the nineties that that we sort of miss or or don't see now. Okay, hockey boards left up during basketball games. Love that. Which which stadiums? Chicago which Stadium, Chicago, I did. believe that they would leave the right. hockey boards up. It's hilarious. Um. The effort put into shots by guys like Curran Paxson. Just heaving are, the ball up. But, I mean, they they look like, it's hilarious. I mean, they're they're little guys, and they are they are throwing the ball with all of their might. Now it's Steph Curry effortless shot, right, from midcourt. Uh, the, the last thing that Declan and I talked about on the um, happy hour recap of the last dance last night as well, too, and this is the one, and I think you saw it in a few of these, but you definitely saw it last night after they won in uh, 1998 with the Bulls. We now take it for granted that in post-game champagne celebrations, guys wear goggles. But in the 70s, 80s, 90s, into the early 2000s, they didn't. Can you imagine how much that must have stung the Dude, eyes? Those were real men. The real <laughs> men. The real men who don't wear goggles in champagne
1: celebrations. Baseball I mean, Horace Grant did.
2: He was way a- ahead of his time, <laughs> Horace, Horace Grant Chris was.
1: Sabo and Horace Grant, yes. the only professional players in the 90s. The world, Rex I will I will put one more argument to bed, too, because I saw Shaq was the latest 90s player to come out and say, yeah. like, well, how would the Warriors fare in, in the middle of the 90s and Shaq's like, no chance. <laughs> like, they never would have had a chance. All right. That is so ridiculous. The New York Knicks, the, so the Chicago Bulls were the team of the 90s, right? The right. New York Knicks were, like, the best team to not win a championship in the 90s, right there with the Jazz Patrick Ewing, you know they went to the finals a couple times in the 90s, once in the mid 90s, once in the late 90s. So the New York Knicks, like one of the standard measurement teams of the 1990s, right, okay? Right. In their starting lineup, we're running out Patrick Ewing, Charles Oakley, and Anthony Mason. And beat you up. They literally ran out three bags of sand with boxing <laughs> gloves attached to them. Yeah, okay, yeah, but what are you going to do when you run into the paint? And you run into Anthony Mason and Charles Oakley. Uh, I kick it out to Clay Thompson, and he hits a three. Right, but, like, what if Steph Curry comes in and hits a 40-footer over everyone's head for three? Like, the Warriors would have destroyed those oh, teams. no, yo, no, you then Those take, games were all the race
2: to 85 points. You then go out and punch Steph Curry. The, 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 I, yeah, I know. The I, Utah a, Jazz scored 54 points in a finals game. You cannot take— Ridiculous. You cannot take that basketball— and like, try to be, be like, I wonder how that team they that team would have to be changed entirely.
1: Bill Lambeer would have put you on your ass. No, Bill Lambeer would have been running around screens how about trying to catch up to Steph Curry. About Shaq, though. Uh, where it was said not, like, hey, well, that's the team that swept out yeah, Shaq and the Lakers. I'm not Shaq. I'm not Shaq. <laughs> right? But like, no. <laughs>
2: he, Shaq, Shaq he doubles a- down. Shaq
1: ain't yeah. me. A- I ain't Shaq. It's
2: <laughs> a great line. I love the oh, fact that so he good. basically looked at all of these stars at that time as like, yeah, he's a nice player, I guess. So I don't really care. Oh, I'm going to
1: miss a, Sunday night. It's a good thing we've got the last ride on WWE Network, episode oh, yeah. two last night, if you want to look at <laughs> The wait. Undertaker's history and return. I saw part one. Part, I liked it. I'm half with you, part two. Best documentary
2: two, sports that, that you've seen because here's here's the one that I think just because I learned so much and it was, it was um, not driven by a player who agreed to be part of it. I think the OJ documentary is still my favorite and this is second. This was really good and, and way more fun. Yeah. The OJ one though was so good and disturbing at the same time and told told a story of the culture at that time in the country and OJ yeah. that was mixed together as perfectly as you possibly can.
1: Yeah, they're they're so different. Right. Even though they're from the same. But like if time I could period.
2: only watch one, I'd probably take Well, it depends on what you're looking for. Are you looking for a
1: dark trip down Murder Lane, or are you looking for a fun, nostalgic, sometimes cryptic trip down the Chicago Bulls Yeah, it's tough, but I think
2: O.J.'s won, and this one is now, too. I'm going Bulls. I'm going Last Dance. It was great. I'm not putting it down, man. I
1: don't know if it lives up to Ken Burns standards, Michael. Maybe It was a little bit slanted toward the greatest player of all time. I love that, too. Like, well, I mean, it's a little bit slanted toward Jordan. I mean... The guy won six rings in eight years. Well, he gave, you eight, slant he to gave you
2: eight hours. What do you expect? Right. Hey, Michael. Too bad. We don't care about what you wanted. You know. Yeah, I think we should. I think we should
1: talk more to Scotty Burrell and see how he felt being <laughs> bullied in the locker room by Michael Jordan, just to get both but, sides of the story. But, no,
2: I'm good. But Jerry Krause, man, does he look? Does he look awful? He is the one he
1: never guy came that came back you would, looking. It's too bad he died like three years ago. It would be. It would be interesting to hear his thoughts on this. But, um all right. And there might even be more discussions off this throughout the rest of the week, but we appreciate you guys fun. watching along with us and uh, and going through the last dance. Got any pizza for me? I do actually. Yeah, I'm really hungry. You're not going to be on the show tomorrow. <laughs> it's gonna be me and Mackie. <laughs> you know what? If I got put, let's pizza... put Judd through the through the food poisoning game. And actually, see what happens. if
2: that happened, I could probably drop a quick twenty. There you go. I'll take it.
1: All right, sounds good. <laughs> Um, we have to get to quarantine discoveries and random season recall, the return of random season recall. But let's talk about federated here, a partner of Mackie and Judd, the podcast and with Governor Tim Walls in the state of Minnesota here announcing changes and reopenings of businesses starting this week and even more businesses in two weeks from now. You're going to want Federated by your side if you're a business owner. With trusted resources, you can find it at federatedinsurance.com. Just all the different things that you might have to account for, like updated written pandemic policies and communications to employees, resources for HR-related topics. The professional employees at Federated are dedicated to providing the services that you need. And you get that peace of mind that comes with putting your trust in a company rated A-plus for its financial strength. Federated has been around for over a hundred years in the state of Minnesota, based in Owatonna. And uh, as a mutual insurance company, Federated believes their value is measured by the success of their clients, and that means you as a business owner. At Federated, it's our business to protect yours. Declan, what do you got to say about Dennis Kirk? Yeah, a quick thank you to Dennis Kirk for
3: supporting Score North and Mackie and Jed. A little rain showers this weekend, but the weather is getting up nice and warm. We have eighty degrees coming, and it's going to get you, that's going to mean it's going to get you and ready for your motorcycle riding season and denniskirk.com is a Minnesota-based worldwide retailer of parts, accessories and apparel for avid bikers of all kinds whether you ride a Harley, cruiser, sports bike, dirt bike or any type of motorcycle they have what you need and through May 28th Dennis Kirk is offering 0% interest for up to 12 months over 160,000 products in stock and ready to ship today denniskirk.com not only offers a huge in-stock selection but also guaranteed best prices fast same-day shipping and a satisfaction guarantee they truly are the best in the business order by 8 p.m and get it tomorrow 89 dollars order ship free denniskirk.com order today get it tomorrow
0: stuck in the house all weekend no sports to watch It makes Mackie, Judd, and Rami something-something.
2: Go crazy?
0: Don't mind if I do! (laughs) Well, okay, not
1: quite. At least not yet. It's time for Mackie, Judd, and Rami's Quarantine Discoveries. Hat
2: tip to Rami
1: Makhlop. All right, Judd, you have a quarantine discovery you want to throw at us.
2: Yes, so um, I I was bored on Saturday night and trying to find something to watch after binging uh, my favorite previous television shows throughout the day so I found a new one. Now I have been told that I should watch this previously and I never had and I watched season 1 and one episode of uh season 2 from FX but uh, it was fantastic. The League. Wow. Now I know a lot of people have watched this but um and of course of course the wife was like this isn't that funny. I don't really think th- this is great and I said, "Well, yeah, cuz you're not a guy." But if you're a guy, Season 1 of The League is completely hysterical and it's really really well done and and I think it's largely unscripted as well. So it's just an off the cuff type of show but uh damn funny and I would I'm definitely going to catch I think it lasted about 5 years. I'm am de- definitely mm-hmm. going to start on season 2. Season 1 was only like 6 or 7 episodes and then I want to say after that it's like 12 or 13 per year. Uh but The League is uh was definitely a quarantine discovery that kept me occupied for about uh Four hours or right, so that's, on That's Saturday. pretty good.
1: I don't think I don't think pre-quarantine Judd would have even considered dabbling in a show such as
3: I
2: hoo, I've never, I've saw the first episode that was and then it. It's, it's funny, man. It's
3: pretty good. The first two seasons are unbelievable. I tailed off by the end, but it's, really? it's pretty dang good. It's funny. Okay. It's really funny.
1: Are you going to binge the rest of the seasons? Um, I'll get through
2: season two and yeah. then decide. Yeah. You're
1: like a TV commitment phobe.
2: It's okay. It struck me as a show that it was because I think it did go. I think it went like what Dex, 2009 like, or 15. Yeah. Or, yeah. It struck me as the type of show that would be hard to keep up that steam yeah. for a really long time. Exactly. But gets off to a great start oh, and is hilariously funny. Nick Kroll's, funny.
3: One of my favorites. Yeah, he's painful, but he's he's awesome.
2: So I am a phobe, though. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> like to. I don't like to. That's a lot of episodes and seasons. So I'm very comfortable. Season one, dabble in season two, and then go from there.
1: All right. So I uh, th- I should put the league on my list. It's always been something for like ten years. that people have said you got to watch this. I think you'd like it. I discovered one over the weekend. We binged all four seasons of it. And <laughs> if you would have told me beforehand, hey, you're gonna binge four seasons of this show, I would have been like. What? How drunk was I this weekend? Well, working moms okay. on Netflix.
2: Okay, give me a yeah, So the of
1: it. the creator. So it's it's a show about four wildly different types of moms who are who are now first time or second time moms, and uh, and like their husbands, and it's essentially like the craziness of their lives as sort of psycho parents, mm-hmm. and so that description wouldn't have necessarily hooked me if not for a couple of claws on Friday night, but. What did hook me was the creator of the show is Catherine Reitman. Okay. Her dad is Ivan Reitman, who is the creator of Ghostbusters. Hmm. So Dan Aykroyd makes a cameo in one of the episodes oh, of, okay. of Working Moms. Uh, Ivan Reitman created Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters to Stripes, Kindergarten Cop, No Strings Attached, that movie with... Ashton Kutcher from like ten years ago. Stripes all all these old, junior, old school classic twins, like all these eighties and nineties comedies and movies, mm-hmm. and uh, and his daughter Catherine is also an awesome writer and so wait
2: a second, creator here too. So. Worth watching sober, or were you full of claws and therefore get a
1: couple claws in you, get a couple <laughs> claws in you, yeah.
2: Declan, I think we found a it's show pretty for funny you.
1: Though. Yeah, maybe. Give it, give it a couple episodes and let me know what you think. I uh, I was a big
3: fan of the first season of this show, and I realized it just came back last weekend, but I finally sat down and watched more of it this weekend, and that's Dead to Me on Netflix. Have you guys watched Dead to Me? No, I've not. That's, uh, I saw Christ-
2: it, but I didn't watch it. Christina
3: Applegate, Linda Car- Cardellini, okay. uh, James Mardson's in it. It's about basically Applegate's wife, uh, excuse me, Applegate's husband in the first episode, her first season gets killed, and they're trying to figure out what happened, and she befriends this person. Who played a part in the murder of her husband, unbeknownst to her, and now it's season two and the roles are flipped. She acts she basically played a part in killing her like ex fiance. So now the roles are like completely flipped from the first to second season. Interesting. It's right. pretty good. I'm in. I dig it. I'm and then this. so
2: funny or sort of like it's, dark humor? It's dark humor, humor. Okay. But
3: it's it's more funny than it is serious, but it is it is dark humor.
1: Very right. dark humor. And, 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 for, and by the way, if you guys are listening out there, we would love recommendations. Oh. You can see how deep we're digging here for things to watch. And now the state's opening back up. We're still spending a ton of time at home. I don't think all of us are going to be, like, immediately rushing to bars. Oh, I'm, so,
2: a, I'm going to be right in there, Phil.
1: So uh, shoot us up a note. Shoot us up. Hit us up. with Shoot us, shoot up. us up. Yeah, ah! just shoot us up. It would be great. Uh, hit
2: us up on Twitter, at Phil Mackey, at Jay Zolgad, at Dex's tweets. Hold on a second here, though. Before we're done, can can we get the Mackey household recap of the weekend um, drinking schedule? Or purchases? Uh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah, we got to go
2: down. I mean, because this is this is a veteran move.
1: We decided to go to a. We decided, you know what? We get all the time in the world on Saturday. Let's drive to a different part of the Twin Cities and (laughs) let's just go to a different liquor store. (laughs) Let's go to a different liquor store. So we drove out. We drove out to Edina. We went to is it the? It's like forty third in France or something. Forty fourth in France liquor store. Don't, Don't you live in Edina though? No, we live in St. Louis Park. Oh, you live in that? Okay. Yeah. So we went, you know, we just went like one little little couple miles down the road and uh, we saw what we saw, what we liked, liked what we saw. (laughs) <laughs> and we got six or seven bottles of wine, a couple Lambrusco's, a couple Chardonnay's, a couple, uh, couple other bottles of God knows what else. <laughs> we also grabbed a case of claws, four tall boy claws. I grabbed a tall boy Sapporo because I miss Masu in Northeast and always get a yeah. glass of Sapporo when I'm yeah, there. Yeah, And then a couple bottles of hard stuff just to just to make sure that we're good for and the you next got beer as well, here. according to A couple the... beers in there, a couple tall boy Sapporo, a little Heineken.
3: Yeah, actually. I made I made two trips a liquor store this weekend. Two different trips. I feel
1: like like the first trip was
3: a bad trip though. It clearly was. Well, wait,
2: wait. You should probably Mm -hmm. start in your case, Dex, on Thursday to take us through the entire weekend. I'll be
3: honest. Thursday, I, I tied one off. I did. I, I no. You tied I had, one on. Tied one on. Yeah. Tied one on. Tied oh. one on. Anyway, <laughs> tied one on. Had about four or five claws. A couple whiskey gingers. I'll be honest. Friday morning, waking up, a little bit rough, but I toughed through it. My Jordan oh, so game. So your actually my rewind it was your Jordan game. It was my <laughs> Jordan game, baby. I was on fire that day. Anyway, so that was there Thursday into Friday. Yeah. Friday, I came home and it was so nice out. It was like eighty degrees almost. And I just sat on my stoop in the North Loop, literally on the stoop on 1st Street, which is all torn up right now, thankfully, so it's really even more secluded, and sat and drank about four different White Claws. I saw your tweet. Yep. Drank your about picture. four of those White Claws. Yep. A buddy came over. He brought a six-pack of Coors. I drank all those six Coors and banquets. I don't do Coors Light. Coors Banquets, the banquet beer. Wow. <laughs> Can't do Coors Light. So I had those, and then at least probably one more, like... Harder whiskey drink probably a whiskey ginger or or, or 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 even a Irish mule, as I like to do, which then tied me into Saturday of realizing you drank all of your booze, you idiot. So then I had to go back to Sirdix, get another bottle of whiskey, get another thing of claws. Do we have a problem on this show.
2: <laughs> And then, is it quarantine what? life or is it who just ever, a problem? Who ever thought that Judd Zolgad would drink the least of anyone oh, on a given show? Yeah, <laughs> Like, I barely made a dent this weekend.
3: Also, yeah, Friday night, ordered two pizzas from Domino's at midnight. Just for you? Me and my buddy. Okay. And it, impressive, it was Phil. it was hard Saturday. It was a rough, it was way worse Saturday than it was on Friday. Did Friday we take Saturday off? Good. Round of applause for yeah, definitely. Yeah, thank you, thank you now, did, I appreciate it. Did you
2: take Saturday off or did you rebound on uh, saturday
3: saturday night I I, I I do we do a sibling a uh, sibling chat on the zoom every saturday night with my siblings and i sure and by then I, I had a few but i was in bed and probably had a good buzz
1: but i wasn't i wasn't drunk <laughs> wasn't drunk well the family chats are always better after you're like nine claws deep Correct. it's very are true are you guys doing
2: that's an impressive weekend right there amazing. from declan goff
1: amazing all right it is time before we wrap this episode we're going to bring back Random Season Recall here, where Declan throws out random Minnesota sports seasons from the past and quizzes Judd and I. We are going to work as a team to try and uh, to try and figure out these questions. All right, Declan, what season are we diving back into today? We're going with the 2007 Minnesota Twins. Wow. All
2: right. Oh, th- this is right in wow. Phil's wheelhouse, I believe. That is. Right?
1: Um... I was on the Vikings beat at that time. A, that's a little you? before my wheelhouse. The first year I started covering the Twins was like 2009, okay. and then I was uh, I was officially on the beat in 2010. Okay. 2007, I'll let you get to your questions, but 2007 sure. was a very nondescript Twin season because they were coming off that amazing 06 run, yep. and everyone thought, all right, let's run it back. We're going to do this again in 07, and they fell flat, if I remember. They, I don't think they made the playoffs in 2007. Re- correct. So we'll start with the first one. What was their record, and how many games
3: were they out of first place by by the time the season ended?
1: Okay. Their record was either, and this is a conversation with Judd, okay, okay, Regis? <laughs> All right. This is not a final answer. All right. They only had, I believe, one below 500 season that whole stretch. Okay. In 2005, they missed the playoffs, and in 2007, they missed the playoffs. Okay. And I think their records were 79-83 and 83 and 83-79. and 79. Or something like it's okay. one and the other all right and i can't remember if 07 was the below 500 year or if it was just like the mediocre year but i'm gonna mm. say it was I'm, i was i'm gonna say it was like 79 and 83 and so what about- wow did
0: you get it? it? Really? I'm hot on the trigger, oh, but yes, you nailed yeah. it. Oh, nice.
3: 79 Woo. and 83. They were only five games out.
2: Wow, that's very impressive, Phil Mackey.
3: And were five games over 500 on April, on August 26th. Oh, wow. so they were fine. They were fine, and then they only won six of their next 21 games. What and happened? it just downslide. Oh, fire guardy. What happened? Cleveland, I think, took off then. That's when Cleveland, I think, really distanced themselves from That from was like the, rest the, the pack. second
1: iteration. Cleveland Aren't was it? kind of bouncing back in that era. Yeah, they, yeah, I mean, like they. That was really impressive.
2: Something. Let's stop the show for yeah, a second. Well, yeah. What else you got? Let's you do this. got that well, right. I, I, I did want to know how many, back.
1: how many games they were
3: out. I might have just said. Yeah, it. Keep going, I think just said it, it was do seventeen. So they were they were seventeen games out of uh, first. All right. Still
2: got the record right. That's keeping
3: good. up with, with the mackie themed questions. This player led the Twins in WAR for position players, oh my with God. four point six.
2: Okay, two thousand and seven.
1: Joe Maurer would have been on that team. Yep, two thousand. Justin Morneau was on that team. Justin Morneau would have been really good on that team. Let's go Morton. Actually, 07, I believe. I believe 07 was Torrey Hunter's final year as a twin. And Torrey yes. Hunter had a, had a big year in 2007. Yes, that is, I believe that's correct. Also, I've, war gives you credit for position. Like, mm-hmm. if you play center field, it's more valuable. So you think it's between Mauer and, Maurer Torrey, and Hunter. Torrey Hunter? All right, go Torrey Hunter. Let's go Torrey Hunter. No. It's Joe Mauer. No. He didn't Is we, it Tony Batista? <laughs>
0: He
3: did, Joe uh, Creedy. He did he did oh, lead. That God. was 09.
0: He, he talked about Joe Creedy. He someday. was
3: traded uh, uh, in the offseason. Oh. Posi-
1: wait, position player? Yeah. This is I'm I'm shocked. A position player who was traded in the offseason. Well, the offseason trade involved. Oh, Jason Bartlett? Dang. Wow. <laughs> Fun fact. The, oh my God. The top three players in
3: war for the twins that year. No, were word, the team suck. Either traded. Or left in free agency.
1: So Johan
2: Santana, Tori, Tori, Jason Bartlett. and Tori Hunter. Wow! And yeah. Tori signed on with the Angels on like Thanksgiving in two thousand seven, right? Yeah. They gave him a five year deal for
1: fifteen million a year. And the Twins, this is where the the, the Tori Hunter thing was, where Twins fans first started being like, "Oh, classic lowball offer." Yeah, it came out that the that the Angels gave him five years, fifteen million a year. Yeah, and the Twins' best offer was also for fifteen million a year, but for only three years. And that's when that's when the twins make fake offers thing first oh, started. Oh, the poll has been cheap right Thanksgiving there. Thanksgiving of two thousand and
3: seven. <laughs> yeah. What else you got for us? All right. Who played third base for the Twins in Johan Santana's seventeen strikeout game against the Rangers?
1: A seventeen strikeout game in which, by the way, he walked off the mound after eight innings, three strikeouts away from tying the major league yeah. record, and tipped his cap and said, "I'm done." Like, did no one say, "Hey, listen, dude, you want I want it." If you can go back yeah. out there and throw, well, like, 15 pitches and strike the next three guys out, you tie the record.
2: Nathan got booed, right?
1: Uh, I don't remember. He Didn't he they
3: almost, grumble he, when Joe he came He almost in? blew it. Okay. I think uh, Sandy Sosa actually so, hit a double. I was just watching this game on FSN this last week.
2: Wait, can I ask a quick question here? So, Santana walks off the mound with 17 strikeouts, doffs his cap, indicating, I'm done, thank you. Then how the hell... Did Terry Collins leave this same guy in to throw 8000 pitches in a no-no? And I know I know it's a no-hitter, it's got some cachet
1: to it. That was, that was like Johan's last good yeah. game by the way. But you know like, ended it, his career. it ruined, it ruined his arm. It ruined his arm. <laughs> it, but
2: but my point is, how can you be smart enough cuz personally, if you ask me, 20 strikeouts or a no-hit game? I say now, 20 strikeouts? Yeah. Actually, more impressive to me. How the hell did this guy get left in and not go up to Terry Collins and say, Yeah, Terry, you know what? This is a really stupid idea. Let's get the bullpen up. He
3: yeah. probably knew, too, that this was my last hoorah. I'm literally going to go out with my arm off I my limbs.
2: I don't think he did at that time, dude. I think he was still v- very intent on pitching. Yeah. What, but, what was the, back base, the original question? Third baseman. third baseman. Who was the third baseman, third baseman he in o- that game?
3: He only played nine career MLB games. Oh, Your hint... Hold on. Okay. Don't give a hint. The last one will give it away.
2: Okay. Go ahead, Phil.
1: My so it's not obviously not Punto and Mike Mike Lamb would have been in my in the wheelhouse there. All right. Conversation with Judd.
2: Australian? was he around then?
1: Glenn was Glenn Williams around? Glenn that? Williams. The the ones I was thinking of were Glenn Williams, Brian Busher, <laughs> and Terry Tiffey.
2: When was now Terry Tiffey was before that, right? Was he? I don't know for sure. I'm asking I'm talking to you I'm not giving answers. <laughs>
1: no I can't Glenn with that <laughs> Williams came
2: to mind but was Tiffy I am having like Glenn pro- Williams is earlier. I'm having problems with uh years. Tiffy played more than 9 games, didn't he? With the Twins? Did Tiffy play more I than 9? I thought game? he did cuz the, and then he went wait wait 9 games with the Twins or in the big leagues?
3: 9 games in the big leagues oh, didn't, all with the Twins.
2: Okay, didn't Tiffy go to the Dodgers?
1: He did. Or Cleveland or he got called up at some point. Yeah, he did. Okay. He hit like 400 one year in the Myers with the Dodgers. Glenn Williams, Brian I don't Busher, remember the year. Brian Busher played more games than nine, for yep. sure. Yep. So Glenn so w- out. He like went off in June of like 0- 06 or something yeah. one year. Hey,
2: just like our guy. And, yeah. and
1: by went off, he hit like probably 270. Right. Hey, come on. He Glenn Williams is, a, is. let's do it. All right. no, you might be right. It might have been four. All right. Give us a hint.
3: He's on the C- Twins' current coaching staff.
1: Tommy Watkins? Yes.
2: What? Tommy, Tommy Watkins Watkins, played played? third base,
3: started third base. <laughs> he played for the Twins? Yes. Nine games. Dude, got called amazing. up at 27. Wow. I was watching the game last week and we're like, who the hell is Tommy Watkins? Am I-? And I was like, well, it sounds really familiar. Like, it's, it's not just a random, it sounds familiar. So I looked at him like, oh my God, he's the first base yeah, coach that's
1: amazing. for the current Twins team. Tommy Watkins, Yeah, he's been in the Twins organization for The last 20 years. Did you remember him playing for the Twins? I didn't. I remember him in the system, but I don't remember him
3: being an actual major leaguer. All right. All right. Last one here. You can run run through it if you want. Your opening day lineup in 2007. (laughs) Do you want to give it your best (laughs) crack? The lineup or positions?
2: positions.
1: My favorite is the DH. My
3: favorite is is the DH.
1: All right. This is really hard because this was a Twins team in transition because they had like, all right, I'm just going to bounce around here. Can you give us three strikes? Sure. Give yeah. us three strikes. You got it. All okay. right.
2: And we're we're talking positions here, not the actual lineup, yep. right? We'll
1: try to go around the diamond, basically. Okay. So right. well, let's go with the obvious ones: Justin Morneau, Maurer, Morneau and Maurer, right? Two thousand
2: seven. Yes. Okay. We're good there. Yep, you're good there.
1: Okay. I'll just buzz if you were wrong. Torrey Hunter in center field. Um, actually, yeah. Torrey Hunter in center field. Yep. Okay. So we we got three there. I'm just making I'm just making a list here. All right. The rest gets dicey because they traded Jason Bartlett, but they traded him after the season. So, yeah, so Bartlett was the shortstop. Bartlett was the Bartlett's shortstop. Down there. All right. Thanks for that hint. Tommy Watkins was not at third base for that game. <laughs> he no, he, he was, was not. There. No, Was um, – Who was third base? Luis Castillo was probably their second baseman, wasn't he? Or was it Luis Rivas?
2: When did – oh, see, the years all run together for me. Luis Cas- – wait, wait. <sighs> Castillo was traded to or went to the Mets next yeah. – but, but it might, he, have, but, but it might have been But Castillo was that. on the 6
1: team. It might have been Let's go that. Castillo at second. You're right. Castillo was at second. Yes. Okay. okay. So your holes are at what, at third? Third, right, left, and DH. Yep. Okay, hold on. Uh, Rondell White was still on the team. Yes, he was. Was he playing outfield or DH? I'm going to put Rondell White in the starting lineup somewhere. Okay. He's in the starting lineup, yes, but do you know where his position? Left field. Correct. Okay. He was in left. Wow. Good job. Who was in right? Holy cow. So this could have been... This could have been Kubel, early Kubel 7 or Kadir. Kadir's in there somewhere. Where does Kadir – oh, Kadir probably started at third base. Or was it right field? He's, he is a, he in the starting wait, lineup? He's in the starting
3: lineup. All right. Wait, wait, wait. Um, he's in the starting lineup. Kubel – when did Kubel tear up his knee? Kadir's in the starting lineup.
2: No, no, but Kubel tore up his knee Kubel
3: would not in be the Arizona
2: in. Fall League, so he probably was not in at that time.
1: No. This would – so we're going to go – we're going to go Cuddy and right. Okay, that is – that is correct. Oh, wow. So we're running the table here. So you so need a third baseman and a DH, and you have DH. all three strikes. And the DH is a funny one. They had some random-ass dudes. They had, like, Ruben Sierra at one point. They had... It, it's it's remarkable. <laughs> so we're not <laughs> going to get it. <laughs> no, we will. You will, I think. We will. You're
3: twins nerds. You'll get who it. Who were the... Okay. It's just great who They're it is. They're
1: starting third baseman. Yeah. I, f- I feel like this
3: is easier than the DH. All right is it?
2: Yes. So Kadir's in right. Oh, nick punto. Correct.
3: Okay. So you have now 3 strikes to get, a DH. To get the DH. Come
2: on. Oh, boy.
1: Come on. This one's really good. I didn't know he was Okay, on he, Here's some of the here's some of the random All right. And I'm trying not to look at Declan because I don't want him to get Declan turn around. Okay. <laughs> All right. So here's some of the random the random dudes off the top of my head that were on these teams. Okay. You had like Ruben Sierra was in there at some point. Mm-hmm. Mike Lamb, but he went to been the DH. Mike Lamb, they signed Mike Lamb to play third base. That might have been the next year.
2: What? Yeah, I was gonna say what year was Mike Lamb? Do you remember? <sighs>
1: it's like oh eight. Okay, I remember ripping the signing, and then someone from their front on so a different stage. Someone from their front office called me about it, and I explained. Well, if you look at the analytics, and they said we do look at the analytics. Look at his road batting average. And I'm like, those aren't the analytics I'm talking about.
2: <laughs> That's not analytics. Really and then we had an much.
1: analytics discussion. The Twins are much more forward thinking <laughs> yeah. now than they were in 2008.
2: Um, all right. So are some of
1: the other random dudes that they signed. <sighs> Tony Batista was. Tony Batista was a different year.
2: Yeah. And Tony Batista played mostly third base before he got released and he got released. He had been released. Matt
1: LeCroy. Previous. No. Declan, Declan is saying that this is someone he didn't know was on the Twins. All right, got to give us like 10 more seconds here. All right, we'll
2: do. Could it be a backup at another position on that team that I, wasn't an exclusive DH?
1: I, my gut says it was one of these, because they, they tried so many times to just like
2: take a flyer on a guy, right? Right, because right, Terry would turn those players in, into prospects eventually because he get— they get frustrated yeah, with him.
1: Like Phil Nevin they yeah. traded for in 2006. It's not Phil Nevin. I know it's not Phil Nevin. Can you give us a hint? I got, hold on. i got to figure out what would
3: be a good hint for it. He He's in Phil Nevin ca- territory as a baseball player. So he was a National League guy who was pretty solid in the National League back in his day. And he
1: came to the Twins is, in this this 2007. This is like every Twins free agent signing ever for yeah, that Yeah, I know.
3: He was very good with the Brewers and Padres.
1: Oh, who is it? Um Oh my god. <laughs> um He actually had a really good
3: year in 2006 before he came to the twins. Oh
1: uh, um Jeff
3: Cirillo. Yes, dang! He yeah. got it. Bang! He got it. Bang! <laughs> <laughs> Jeff freaking Cirillo batted eight. That's oh. right and was your You're opening. Coming to my house oh. with
2: that crap. Oh opening day designated hitter. Oh my god. Did, the lo- didn't he have a weird Batting stance, too. Craig, yes,
1: Craig Council had a weird bat. Did oh, Jeff Cirillo have one, one, too? I, yes. get them,
2: I get those two confused.
3: That lineup right. went Castillo at second, Punto at third, Mauer catching, Cuddy in right, Morno at first, Torrey in center, Rondell White yes. in left, Jeff Cirillo DH rounding it off, Jason Bartlett at short. Amazing. That is great. Random season recall.
2: The, All right. That record, Mackie, that was impressive. You got the record <laughs> for that season.
1: I got the record and Jeff Cirillo.
3: And Jeff, Jeff Cirillo.
2: 2000's yeah, but you got the record without <laughs> hints or anything.
1: That's a wrap on this episode of Mackie and Judd. You can help us by giving us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple if that's where you listen to help spread the word about our show to other Minnesota sports fans and uh, potential advertisers as well. Later on this week, on Wednesday, write that down An Action Movie Rewind on Friday. We're pumping out daily content here on Mackie and Judd plus Purple Daily, the podcast, and youtube.com slash score north.
0: Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plug Door Chris Howard. University of Michigan QB, J.J. McCarthy makes bold predictions but doesn't fulfill them, and Ohio State kicker Noah Ruggles misses an opportunity to etch his name in Buckeye lore. Fans love their teams and the players, that is, until they don't. When it comes to finger pointing, you'll find no greater antagonist than the fan. Why? Because it means more to them, or so they believe. As a former player, nothing angers me more than armchair charlies accusing the teams of overlooking opponents or blaming players for providing bulletin board material. Leading up to the game, the fan is the one talking the most, boasting the most. When the team is winning, it's a lot of we talk. But when the team loses, it turns into they lost. You will never know what those moments feel like because you didn't put in the work to earn those feelings from those moments. That's the great thing about being part of a team. You win as a team, you lose as a team. We cry, we console our brother, we don't point the finger, we go back to work, back to the early morning workouts, the hill sprints, back to the bloody noses and broken bones. Why? Because it really means more to us. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard.